And Lord, you are the holy and anointed one, and we are so, again, blessed and thankful, Lord, that you have risen from the dead. And Lord, as you rose from the dead, you not only proved yourself to be God, but Lord, you triumphed over sin and death in our lives. And Lord, we have the promise of heaven to come. Lord, I just pray right now that as we go to your word, that you would be our teacher, and that, Father God, we'd be just receptive, and your Holy Spirit would move mightily among us. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said... Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Leviticus 27. If you don't have a Bible with you, raise your hand and Manny will get you one. So raise your hand, please. We'll get you a Bible. Read the book. Don't wait for the movie, right? We need to be in God's Word. So if you don't have a Bible, please grab one. You're going to need it. Again, Leviticus chapter 27. Lord willing, we're going to finish up Leviticus tonight. Um, Also, hey, the picture directory, the photo directory for the church, I want to encourage you, please get your pictures taken for that. A couple reasons why it's, it's great for us to get to know each other. But also, that's what I use to pray for you guys. And I literally have that on my desk. I keep it in my Bible and I go through it a couple times a week and try to pray for everybody by name. And if you're not in the photo directory, you're just out of luck. <laughs> no, so I want to encourage you. I got some names written in the back, so if you're not in there, I'm still praying for you. But I want to encourage you to do that. It'll be a blessing to me. And then before we get started, I wanted to uh, introduce you to somebody. Dylan and Annabelle, you guys want to come on up here? I'm going to embarrass them right out of the chute. Why not? But uh, this is Dylan and his wife, Annabelle, and they're praying about coming up here from Southern California, where he's a Calvary Chapel assistant pastor, to start a Calvary Chapel in Watsonville. And so I just want to pray for them, and I want to encourage us. They're looking for a place to live down there, and, and maybe God will use our eyes and our ears as well to help them. So maybe afterward you can come up and say hi to them. I know some of you do live in Watsonville, and I don't know how it's going to originally start, maybe a midweek study down there, but... Um, we want to be a part of helping them get that church started. So why don't we all, before we start our study, let's join in praying for Dylan and Annabelle. Let's pray for them. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you and I praise you for Dylan and Annabelle. I thank you for their hearts and their willingness, Father God, to go where you're calling them. And Lord, we just lift up the city of Watsonville to you, Lord. And we just pray, Lord, that you would soften hearts there even now. And Lord, you would prepare the way, Father, as they put their foot in the Jordan, Lord, that you would show them the next step, the place you want them to live and and when you wanted to start having the home Bible study, Lord, and what night, the whole thing, Lord, that you would begin to just draw people, Father God, to, to come alongside them and be their co-laborers. And I pray for us as a church here in Santa Cruz, Lord, that we would be those that would hold up their hands and encourage them and be co-laborers with them. And Father, I pray for Dylan, Lord, just give him wisdom, Father God, and give him direction, he and Annabelle as, as well. And just I pray they'd be of one heart and one mind, and they'd be listening to that still, small voice of your Holy Spirit, just directing their every step. And Father, we're excited just to watch what you're going to do in Watsonville. And Lord, we thank you for the the lives that will be changed, and the people that will come to know you, and that your kingdom will be added to down there. So Father, we just put them into your hands, and put the city into your hands. We're excited to watch you work. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. 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 God bless you guys. I'm glad you guys are here. You bet. God bless you. All right. Praise the Lord. Amen. All right. Turn your Bibles again. Leviticus 27, if you haven't already. And let's begin by just real quick way of review. And I, I do take a minute to review this because it is the last chapter in Leviticus. And we're going to finish it up tonight. And it's been a great book. Amen. We spent about six months looking in Leviticus and looking at about a chapter a week. And, and you know, I talked about in the beginning that Leviticus is God's guidebook for the, this newly redeemed church. They had just been taken out of bondage in Egypt. They've been delivered from bondage, but now God's desire was that they not just be delivered from bondage, but that they walk in holiness. And the key 
word for Leviticus is holiness. And we saw in the first 10 chapters of Leviticus that it really pointed to just the sacrificial system and how God's plan was that through the sacrifices there would be a clear picture of Jesus Christ. Because Genesis, we saw creation and we saw man fall into sin and condemnation and the depravity of man. But then in Exodus, we saw redemption and salvation through the picture of Passover. Remember Passover is a typology or picture of what? What do we see in Passover? Picture of the cross. Remember the blood of the firstborn spotless lamb? A picture of Jesus Christ. And so as we come to Leviticus, they've been redeemed in a sense and they've been, you know, the depravity of man's sin, but now God's desire is that they walk in holiness. So like I said, the first actually 17 chapters deal with sacrifice and their way to God. And then the last 10 chapters deal with their walking with God. Walking in holiness and walking in obedience. Now we talked about this repeatedly, but it bears repeating. You know what? As Christians, we now live under grace. But God's desire is still that we be holy. Amen? That we live sanctified, set-apart lives. Be holy, for I am holy. And that's God's desire for each one of us. And it was His desire for the children of Israel. The word holiness is used many times throughout the text, over 80 times. But another word is used even more often. And that word is blood. We talked about this when we started the the book of Leviticus. Is that it is a bloody book. And it's a book that a lot of people avoid. When we started Leviticus six months ago, I asked how many of you had been taught through Leviticus before. And it was one person in our whole church. And praise God, after tonight, you'll all be able to raise your hand. Amen? Because we've gone through it. But it's in the Bible for a reason. It's been great to see the atoning work of the cross. But as we see the word blood 88 times in the text, there's a reason that it's in there so much. Is because without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. Amen? There had to be bloodshed. And it couldn't just be any bloodshed. As we thought, saw through the sacrifices that the, the blood had to be of a firstborn spotless lamb. And we saw clearly just the awfulness of sin, but the gracious, graciousness of God. And then we saw in the different offerings how each one of them pointed to Christ. And we don't really have time to go through that tonight, but the burnt offering, a picture of his submission. The meal offering, a picture of his sinlessness. The peace offering, the picture of the fact that after our sins have been paid for, that you and I can have fellowship with the creator of the universe. We saw the sin offering, a picture of him bearing our guilt and the trespass offering again him taking the penalty of our sin we saw a picture of the high priest high priest was Aaron and who's the great high priest now Jesus Christ he's seated at the right hand of the father and and we saw in Leviticus that only the high priest was the one that could go in and make that sacrifice but praise God the price has been paid and Jesus paid it and then lastly toward the end we've looked at the seven feast and how the first four feasts we talked about two weeks ago or three weeks ago, are a clear picture of what happened when Christ came the first time. We looked at Passover, we looked at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of First Fruits, and Pentecost. Again, Passover, a picture of the cross. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, a picture of the time that our Savior was in the tomb. The Feast of First Fruits, His resurrection, He actually rose from the dead on the Sunday that they celebrated the Feast of First Fruits. And then Pentecost is a picture of the giving of what? The Holy Spirit. If you've been here on Sunday, we're going through the book of Acts, a clear picture. And then the last three feasts are things that are going to be fulfilled when Christ comes back. The Feast of Trumpets is a picture of what? Who remembers? Three weeks ago. The rapture of the church, remember? With the sound of a trumpet. Then the Day of Atonement, and then finally the Feast of Tabernacles, which is a picture of the millennial reign. So the Bible, everything that's in the Old Testament, a clear picture of Jesus, he's all over God's word. You know, as we saw on Sunday that Philip was, was running alongside the chariot and he got in and taught him from Isaiah and from the Old Testament Scripture, the person of Jesus Christ. 
And that's why we study the Old Testament here at Calvary Chapel, is because it's God's Word. Amen? Leviticus is just as inspired as Luke. And we need to be spending time in all of God's Word, because all of it is good for our edification, our equipping, our encouragement in God's Word. And then last week we saw the, the blessings that come from walking in obedience and the consequences that come from disobedience and walking outside of God's will. So tonight we're going to finish up the, the, the book of Leviticus and we're going to look at, at vows, offerings, and tithes. And as we look at this final chapter, we're going to see that, that God took vows very seriously. And we're going to talk about how vows apply to us today. They apply to us in a much different way than they did in the Old Testament church. But there were vows that were made, and in God's eyes, when man made a vow with him, it was very serious. And we're going to look at that. And as we look at it, we're going to see that that a vow was basically a consecration. It was being set apart for a holy use. And you know what? God has desired that we would be consecrated. That you and I would be set apart for holy use. But when we make those consecrations before God, that we need to do them realizing just the the heavy cost that comes with it. We need to count the cost. And so we're going to see, again, that that just the vows and the the tithes and the gifts. Now, the things vowed that were given, we're going to see that they were given to the priest. And when they were given to the priest, we're going to see that for them to be bought back, for someone to back out of a vow, they had to pay 120% of what they gave. But... I know this is a fairly long introduction, but I want to say this. I want to give you a comparison, and then we're going to look at the vows. There's a vow that really jumps out to me every time I think about a vow in the, in the Old Testament. And every time I think about a vow in the Old Testament, I think of a woman by the name of Hannah. You guys know the story from 1 Samuel. And Hannah was a woman who was desperate for a child. And Hannah cried out to God and said, Lord, if you will give me a son, Lord, if you'll give me a son, I'll give him to you to serve you. And it says in the text there in 1 Samuel chapter 1, And she was in bitterness of soul, and she prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. And she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me, and do not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to you, the Lord, all the days of his life. Now imagine being Hannah. Remember that her husband had two wives. That's his first mistake. But he had two wives. And one of them had children, Penina was her name, and she had children, but Hannah did not. And it was considered a curse not to have children. And there she is crying out to God, and she's in desperation before Him, and she makes this vow. Now we know that God answers her prayer, and He gives her a son. And I believe this is where the really hard part comes. Because we can make a vow rashly, and we can make a vow in haste, but do we really fulfill the vow that we've made before God? You know, God calls us to do things, and we say, Lord, if you call me, I'll go. And then he calls us, and now it's time for us to respond. Can you imagine, Hannah, it says in a text that when she weaned her son, that she took this three- or four-year-old boy and walked him over and gave him to the high priest to serve the high priest for the rest of his life. I can't imagine the difficulty that must have been. Praying for a son for all these years, finally being given the son you've been waiting for, and now fulfilling that vow and being faithful to do what God called her to do. And she takes him and gives her son to him, and what a blessing. And we know that from the text that she was blessed in a great way. God brought Hannah to a place of full reliance upon God. She was desperate for him. And I, you know what? My, my nephew called me, he's, and I think I mentioned this to you, he's a, the youth pastor at Calvary Chapel in Manchester, England. And he said, he said, Uncle Dave, if you could give me any advice, I'm going to be start being a youth pastor next week, what would you tell me? I said, two things, bro. You be diligent and you be desperate. You be diligent in your study of God's Word and you stay desperate for Him at all times. Because without Him, you can do what? 
Nothing. And I said, bro, you got to stay desperate. You need to study like it all depends on you and pray like it all depends on him. Amen? You need to be in God's word and be faithful and be diligent and stay desperate. Because as soon as you stop being diligent, God's going to take his hand off of you. And as soon as you stop being desperate and start doing things in your flesh, it's going to come to no fruit. Well, that's where Hannah was. She was diligent in her prayer and she was desperate for God. And we see that she made a vow and she fulfilled it. Now, I heard an illustration. I'm not big on using a lot of illustrations, but I'm going to use one because it fits so perfectly. An illustration of a drowning man. And he's out, you know, 10 miles off the shore. And as, he's, as the ship goes down, he's in the water. And he's, and he's, a, he's a wannabe Christian. He's a, you know, I go every, you know, Christmas and Easter kind of program kind of Christian. And the, the ship goes down and he's, he's bobbing out in the water. And all of a sudden, sharks are surrounding him. And, and here we see Christ's Christianity at its best. Lord, if you will save me from this and get me to shore, I will sell all I have and I'll become a full-time missionary. Lord, I'll give my life completely to you. The sharks go away and he catches a tide and all of a sudden he sees the shore. He's only a couple miles away and now it's, Lord, I'll give you half of all I have and I'll go to church every Sunday and Wednesday and I'll be involved in the children's ministry. And then before you know it, he's a half a mile out and it's, well, Lord, I'll, I'll tithe like I'm supposed to and, and, and Lord, I'll, I'll go to church on Sundays. And, and, you know, when the guy's feet hit the sand, it's, I'll try to make it next Sunday if I can. And, you know, and what happens is sometimes we make vows to God in crisis times and then when things are better, we're not so desperate for him anymore. And so this whole text is about making a vow. He's encouraging them. When you make a vow to me, you need to stand by it. Aren't you glad that God stands by the promises he makes to us? The Bible says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And that means even to your own harm. If you tell somebody, I promise, you better be dead if you don't keep it. Amen? As Christians especially, I believe God wants us to be men and women of integrity. Men and women of character, not just reputation, not just who we are when everyone's watching, but who are we when no one's watching? So let your yes be yes and your no be no. So we're going to begin. Let's take a look here. And it does say also in Ecclesiastes, do not be rash with your vows. And we, again, don't really make what you would call vows today because we'll talk about that at the end of the message today. But I want you to see again that God's desire is that when we make a promise to him or we respond to a call by him, that we remain faithful to it. So we're going to look at vows pertaining to people and animals. We're going to see the, de uh, the dedicating of house and lands. And then we're going to see that which already belongs to the Lord. And you know what? You can't give God what's already His. We're going to take a look at that. So let's begin in verse 1. But looking at vows pertaining to first people and animals. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, and by the way, I love the fact that throughout Leviticus, you see this over and over and over again, because God wants us to know really clearly that these are not the words of Moses. These, this is the word of God. Amen? 66 books, 40 authors, three continents, three languages, one central theme, no contradictions. How is that possible? Because God wrote it. Amen? That's the Bible. It's not an old antiquated book written by a bunch of men. It's the living, breathing word of God. And so he reminds, them, reminds us one more time, reminds them one more time that this is God's word given to Moses. And we talked about the fact that why did he always speak to Moses? Because Moses was near to him. You want to hear from God? Draw near to him. Amen? Draw near to him. Spend time on your knees. Wake up in the morning with the Lord and I promise you that he will speak to you. Verse 2. Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when a man consecrates by a vow a certain person to the Lord according to your valuation. The word consecrates means to set apart for holy use. When you make a vow, a vow was an unbreakable promise, a promise for a lifetime. 
He says to give, to give it, and when you give it to the Lord, he says, do it as unto the Lord according to your valuation. When he consecrates a vow, when he sets aside something, he says, Lord, this is yours for a lifetime. Now here's what they were doing. If they consecrated themselves, they were basically saying, I give myself to serve God for the rest of my life, and nothing else matters. And it, was, it would come from a great amount of zeal for God and a passion for God and a desire to put God above all else. And you know what? I have to confess to you. I've heard people say, the Lord told me, and then they follow that with something. The Lord told me that I'm supposed to quit my job and go to Africa and be a missionary. And then I see them three months later, oh, well, I kind of changed my mind. Well, wait a minute. You changed your mind. So either God didn't tell you or God told you and now you're in rebellion. So what's up? And the reality is that before we say, thus saith the Lord, we better watch what comes out of our mouth. Amen? We need to, you know, be still and trust the Lord, but when God calls us to go, we better step up behind it, because you know what? When we say God told us and then we don't do it, it makes our God, either us look foolish or our God look foolish. Amen? Oh yeah, well you're God, really. Okay, yeah, well I heard what you said about him before. What's up? And the reality is that God's desire is that we be people of our word and that we would follow through. And these guys are devoting themselves to to carry wood and to draw water and to sweep floors. They were saying, I'm called by God to go serve in the temple. I'm just going to be a servant. And I don't care about my life anymore. My life doesn't matter. And we talked about this on Sunday. Remember Philip and Stephen used mightily by God. How did they start, guys? Who remembers? Waiting tables. These guys started with hearts of servants. Those who serve and are faithful in the small things, God will use in the great things. When I look for people to to be involved in leadership in our church, I always look at the servants first. The Bible says if you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be what? Servant of all. And so these guys are willing. They say, I want to serve you, Lord. But the sad part is that they wouldn't always follow through with their vow. Look at verses 3 through 7. It says, if your valuation is of a male from 20 years old to 60 years old, then your valuation shall be 50 shekels of silver according to the shekel of the sanctuary. If it is a female, then your valuation shall be 30 shekels. If from uh, 5 years old to 20 years old, then your valuation for a male shall be 20 shekels, and for a female, 10 shekels. And if for a month old up to 5 years, then your valuation for a male shall be 5 shekels of silver, and for a female, your valuation shall be 3 shekels of silver. And if from 60 years old and above, if it is a male, your valuation shall be 15 shekels, and for a female, 10 shekels. Now, what was this valuation all about? Let me tell you. There were those who would make an oath and decide that they wanted to serve God with their whole heart, and then halfway through the program, or they'd get started in their service and say, oh, I don't want to do this. I, you know, I, I was feeling emotional that day, and, you know, I'm involved now, but it's been a couple years, and... You know, I want, you know, I want to go have a family and I want to go, I want to go reap some harvest and grow some grain. You know, I, I don't think I want this program. And so they could back out, but guess what? When they backed out, it cost them something. And a shekel was basically a month's wages. So 50 shekels would be four years and two months wages, roughly. And so if a man in between the ages of 20 and I believe it says 60, a man of those age, ages, he had to give four years and two months wages to be able to step back out and get out of ministry and go back and serve. Now, this is showing that again, when you make a vow before God and you say you want to serve him with your whole heart and then you want to step back out, the price is heavy. Because if you're not going to do it yourself, then God's going to have you give to, to be able to enable others to do it. And we see here that, that 
the amount of giving is based on how much work could be done physically. You know, 20 to 60 years old, that was the strength of their ages, and those were the, of the greatest amount that they had to give to basically buy themselves out or to renege on their promise to God. Do you know that when we back out of a promise we've made to God that the price is heavy? Every single time. Lord, I, I've committed to you. And understand this, I, we'll talk about this in the end, but we don't make vows in the way that they made vows because we're walking in grace, but we do things out of the love of God. Right? We're so in love with Him that we want to do it for Him. But when we make a commitment to Him and then we back out, you know what, let me tell you this, I don't believe, and I'm, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but I don't believe that God calls people for a season. I don't see that in the Bible. I hear people say that, oh, I'm just called for a season. Well, give me a verse. Because was Samuel called for a season? Was Daniel called for a season? Were the apostles called for a season? Do you see people called for a few years and then not called anymore? I don't see that anywhere in the Bible. I believe God's calling is for a lifetime. Amen? Pastor Chuck, was he called for a season? He's 70-whatever years old, and you know what? He's going to get raptured or die in the pulpit. That's it. He's not quitting. How do you quit? How do you retire? From, I don't get that. I'm retiring from ministry. I'm going to stop sharing my faith. You might as well just go sit on a mountain and wait for the Lord to come back. Because the reality is that when God calls us, he calls us for a lifetime, and his calling is irrevocable. And, and what's happening here is people are saying, oh, yeah, I'm called. Well, I'm not, I'm not called anymore. And the price is heavy when you do that. Because for us today, what happens is we leave those we minister to in the wake. You go and you start a Bible study at work, and I'm called, and you tell everybody at work, I'm going to be doing this until forever. And you do it for six months, and people are starting to grow in their relationship with the Lord, and you go, oh, I'm not called to do it anymore. I'd rather go to Black Angus with my friends for long. I'm just not into it. And what happens is it's a heavy cost not only to you, but to those that you're ministering to. And he's saying, you know what? When you make a vow to me, stand behind it. When you know that I've called you, go for it full speed. Now notice that they paid with shekels, and shekels were made out of silver. And those of you here, when we're going through Exodus, silver is a picture of what? Who remembers? Anybody? Redemption. Very good. Bonus points over there. It's redemption because remember when they purchased, remember Jesus. What did, they, what did they pay for a slave? 30 pieces of silver. And what did they pay? What did Judas get paid to betray our Savior? The price of a slave, 30 pieces of silver. And when you go back into Exodus and you look at the tabernacle, remember that there was silver implements that were used that were pictures of redemption. And so we see here that they had to buy themselves out or purchase themselves back, and they had to pay a great price to get themselves back out of ministry. And again, I believe the same thing is true today, that when we back out of what God has called us to do, the price is very, very heavy. Again, calling is for a lifetime. Don't make quick promises to God. Measure your words. You know what? Some people get frustrated with me as a pastor because people will ask me to do something five times and I'll still be like waiting. Pastor Dave, I really feel called to come and do this. Okay. Pastor Dave, I really feel... All right. Because if somebody's really called, I don't have to draft you. Amen? God, God is called. When God calls you, God will sustain you. If you're called by a man and he says, you need to go do this, then you're doing it often to please your pastor, to please a man. Don't do anything because a man told you. Do it because God has given you a burden to do it. Amen? You're doing it for him. Amen? Not for anybody else. So if you're doing it for him, and you know what? We, we don't have ministries in our church unless somebody feels called by God to do it. I'm not going to draft anybody. And again, I just think that's so key because if God calls us, God will sustain us. If we're doing it in our flesh, three months from now, you're going to be like, oh, kind of a drag. 
I, you know, a, a, a children's ministry would be great, but there's kids in there, and I just don't, you know. I mean, you know, we get this thing about what we want to do, and then we go do it, and we find out, wow, you know, i got to study. I mean, this is kind of hard. And, and so understand that leaving your calling, whether it's unwillingly or you're disqualified or you're unable to do it anymore, it comes at a heavy price. If you just leave because you're just done and you don't want to do it anymore, verse 8. But if he is too poor to pay your valuation, then he shall present himself before the priest, and the priest shall set a value for him according to the ability of him who vowed, the, price shall value, the priest shall value him. So if the guy was unable to pay his way out of ministry, he would set himself before the priest, and then the priest would tell him the price that had to be paid to step out. And if he couldn't pay it, he had to stay and serve till the debt was paid off. And again, this would not be someone who's a servant by choice. This would now be somebody who's a servant by, you know, by design. You know, the apostles called themselves bond servants. A bond servant is a slave by choice. Amen? Lord, I'm your slave because I love you. And there's nothing else in the world I'd rather be. And so we see here that there was the opportunity to step out, but again, it was at a heavy price. Verses 9 through 13. It says now, and it, if it is an animal that man may bring as an offering to the Lord, all that anyone gives to the Lord shall be holy. So if they brought a vow of themselves, they would consecrate themselves to service, but they could also bring a vow of an animal. Over and above their regular giving, they say, you know, Lord, you've blessed me, and Lord, I just want to give you more. And so they would bring an animal to sacrifice as totally a love offering to God, a vow, a gift to Him. But if they brought them that, then it says in that text it had to be holy, which means it had to be a clean animal, an animal that was suitable for sacrifice. Those of you who have been coming, why did the animal have to be clean and perfect? Why? Because it's a picture of Jesus. Amen? The firstborn spotless lamb. He's, again, every sacrifice a picture of our Savior. And so if they were to bring an animal, then the animal had to be clean. But it says, he shall not substitute it or exchange it, good for bad or bad for good. And if he had all exchanged his animal for animal, then both it and the one he exchanged it for shall be holy. So he was not allowed to, to exchange a bad animal for a good one. And if he brought an animal that wasn't good, then one of two things had to happen to it. It either became something that the priest would use as you know, a, a tool for service. In a, you know, they, could, they wouldn't sacrifice a, 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 a non-perfect animal. Or they would just sell it and the money would be used for the priest and his sustenance. But they could not exchange it for a lesser sacrifice. Again, a, per, a pi- picture of our perfect and holy Savior. Verse 11. If it is an unclean animal which they do not offer as a sacrifice to the Lord, then he shall present the animal before the priest, and the priest shall set a value for it, whether it is good or bad, as you, the priest, value it, so it shall be. But if he wants, but if he wants it all to redeem it, then he must add one-fifth to your valuation. So if the animal you bring is not good for sacrifice, you can buy it back at 120% of its value or it would be sold and the money would be given to the priest. So they would come and bring it, but even though they brought a vow of an animal, they were never to take an animal that was unholy or unclean and sacrifice it before God. Now dedicating houses and lands. Verse 14. When a man dedicates his house to be holy to the Lord, then the priest shall set a value for it, whether it is good or bad. As the priest values it, so shall it stand. If he who dedicated it wants to redeem his house, then he must add one-fifth of money of your valuation to it, and it shall be his. So when they gave their house, now these had to be houses within a walled city, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, 
because only these houses could transfer. Remember that the other ones could be leased for a time, and at the year of Jubilee, they went back to the original owner. Well, these houses, you could, within a walled city, they could give it to the priest and say, I want you to use it. I want you to have it, take it. And the only way they could get it back was to pay 120% of what the value was. Again, changing of the vow would come at a heavy price. You know what? All over my house, we have a verse. I don't know how many times. It's got to be a dozen times or more. And it says, Joshua 24, 15, it says, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen? And you know what? May our houses be holy and set apart to God. And may I encourage you dads, God has called you to be the spiritual leader in your home. And God has called you to make sure that your house is consecrated unto Him. And if there are things in your house that don't belong there, then you are the one that needs to take the steps and say, you know, these videos are no good, and these, these, you know, these secular CDs my kids are listening to are of no value, and you know, this stuff that's in my house and this cable, that, you know, if there's something on cable channels or whatever it might be, you know what, you seek the Lord and then rip out the stuff that is contrary to God's will. Amen? Your house should be a sanctuary from the world, not a window into it. Amen? Our houses need to be holy and set apart to the Lord. And here they were consecrating their houses, and they would give them to the priest to use them in their service. Verse 16, If a man dedicates to the Lord part of a field of his possession, then your valuation shall be according to the seed of it. A homer of barley seed shall be valued at 50 shekels of silver. Now, if they gave their field, they were only allowed to give a part of their field. Now, why do you think they would only be able to give a part of their field? They couldn't give all of their field to God. They could only give a part of it as a vow offering. Now, they were already supposed to give a tenth. They were already supposed to, to tithe. They were already supposed to bring the first fruits at the Feast of First Fruits. But why couldn't they give their entire field to the Lord? Let me tell you why. Because they were not to put themselves in a position where they could not provide for their families. I hear people say this all the time. Well, God's calling me to quit my job and just walk around on the street and witness. And that's wonderful. But if you're coming you know, and begging from people for money to do that, then you're out of God's will. The Bible says a man who does not provide for his family is worse than an unbeliever. Amen? Your first ministry is your family. And if you don't provide for your family, you're setting an ungodly example for your, for your children and for your wife, and then you're leaving the first ministry to go do something else. And you can leave, go for what is, uh, leave what is best to go after what is good. But God's desire is that we minister to our families. He said, you don't sell the entire field, because if you sell the entire field, then you're going to be a burden on everyone else, because you're going to have to go and take from them. And that's never God's highest. You know what, guys? Can I, can I include you in on something? Can I encourage you with something? Where you work, that is your mission field. Amen? You don't have to leave work to go find a mission field. You're in one every single day. Amen? God does, you know, the city of San Jose, the city of Santa Cruz, they don't take all the lights and put them on one street corner. Otherwise, the whole city would be pitch black and have one real illuminated spot. They take the lights and they spread them out all over the city, and that's what God has called us to be. God's called you to be the light where you work. And God puts you in that place to be salt and light. And you're there for a reason. And we don't have to quit our job to go do, mission, to go do ministry. You know what? Ministry is not a destination. It's a way of life. Amen? And we're all in it. You've all been called by God to do ministry. And where you are, you're in ministry. And so often you'll say, well, you know, I'm going to go witnessing on Friday night from 9 to 10. And that's great. But what are you doing the rest of the week? Amen? We should be witnesses, not go witnessing. Amen? Be witnesses all the time. 
And so he's saying, you know what, you don't give the whole field away because then you're going to be reliant upon others. You need to be faithful to plow the field. As it says in Genesis, by the sweat of your brow and you're toiling in the ground, that's how you're going to provide for your family. That's what it says after they sin. That's what the man would do. And that's what they're called to do. He said, you cannot sell your whole field. But if you want to sell a portion of it, or you want to vow a portion of it and give it to the Lord, then the value of it will be 50 shekels per homer of barley seed. The amount that, that it, it reaped from the ground would determine the value of the ground. So even in the ground, it's by your fruit they shall know you. Amen? It's the fruit that's born out of it that determines the value of the ground. And you know what determines our value and our walk with God? Our value before God is that we are precious to Him, and we are His treasured possession, and He loves you more than you'll ever understand. Amen? He's numbered the hairs on your head. He loves you so much, He'd rather die than live without you. That's the God we serve. But you know what? Our value to the kingdom of God and promoting the kingdom of God is based on how much fruit we produce. And the fruit isn't produced by us striving in the flesh. It's by us just dying to self and letting God use us. Amen? Here I am, Lord. Not not an ability, but availability. And God is looking for men and women who are just available. Verse 17. If he dedicates his field from the year of Jubilee according to your valuation, it shall stand. But if he dedicates his field after Jubilee, then the priest shall reckon to him the money due according to the years and remain till the year of Jubilee, and it shall be dedicated from your valuation. The value of the land was always based on the number of years away from Jubilee. We talked about this in chapter 25. We looked at the, the Sabbath year and the year of Jubilee. I'm in 24. But when we were looking at the chapter, we saw very clearly that the value of something was less as they got closer to Jubilee. Because remember, at the year of Jubilee, all the property would go back to the person who originally owned it. So if you're 40 years away, then it had 40 harvests to come until Jubilee. If you're two years away, it only had two years to come. And I feel like the application that I shared with you that night is so appropriate for us that the closer we get to our Jubilee, you know, we're heaven bound. Ha <laughs> ha, heaven bound, as DC Talk would say, right? We're going to heaven. And the, the more our focus is on Him, and the more in love we are with the Lord, the less valuable stuff of this world becomes. Amen? The closer they got to Jubilee, the less valuable stuff became. And the closer we get to the Lord, and more our eyes are on Him, the less valuable stuff becomes. It just doesn't matter anymore. It's all wood, hay, and stubble. It's chaff. It's all going to burn. It's deck chairs in the Titanic, right? It's just stuff that doesn't matter. It's just a big pile of dirt that you're shoveling every day. And you realize it's not that important anymore. And the closer it got to Jubilee, the less valuable the land was. And the further away from Jubilee, the more value that it had in the eyes of men. Had less planting seasons, less value. And again, we see here that they, I love this because the Lord made them always think about Jubilee. They'd have Jubilee on their mind every single time they made a business transaction. They go to buy a piece of land and it's like, okay, so how many years till Jubilee? 38 years. Okay, so how many? So Jubilee was always on their mind because every time they made a decision about anything, whether someone would enslave themselves or they buy a piece of property or whatever they're doing, they always had to think about Jubilee. Jubilee had to be a part of the process. You know what? Wouldn't it be awesome if as, as Christians we always had heaven on our minds? And every time we made a decision, we made it from a heavenly perspective? How is this going to impact eternity? How is this going to impact my life beyond this life, my, my time when I'm spending eternity with the Lord, how is this going to impact eternity? Colossians 3.2 says, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. And so we see here again, the valuation was based on how far close it was to Jubilee. And at verse 19, if he dedicates the field, if he who dedicates the field ever wishes to redeem it, 
then he must add one-fifth of the money of your valuation to it, and it shall belong to him. So if he wanted to buy it back, can you imagine you give your house to the church? You give it to them. I feel called to go on the mission field. I don't need my house anymore. You can have it. And the value of your house is $300,000, which in Santa Cruz County would be a shed, okay? But $300,000 is the value of your house. And so you go to the mission field for a month, and you're like, you know what, this isn't working out. I'm going home. And you come back to the church and say, I want my house back. Okay, 360 and you can have it. Wait a minute, I gave it to you. Uh, yeah, but it's not yours anymore. And so now if you want to buy it, you don't even get it for 300 It's 360 That's what this is saying. You add 20%. It's saying count the cost before you make a vow to God. Count the cost. Count it. Know that it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you something to come to Watsonville and start a church. Amen? It's going to cost you something to go into ministry and to do what God's calling you to do. But here's the good news. Where God guides, God provides. Amen? And he won't provide our necessarily our wants, but he'll provide what we need. He's a faithful God. My father's got a cattle on a thousand hills. He'll take care of the problems. But we see here saying, guys, if you give the property and you come back and you want it, it's 120% of what you, what you, and you didn't get anything when you gave it to him. But you're paying 120% of what it's worth. So count the cost before you do it. Verse 20 and 21. But if he does not want to redeem the field, if he has sold the field to another man, it shall not be redeemed anymore. But the field when it was released in Jubilee shall be holy to the Lord. As a devoted field, it shall be a possession of the priest. So if he didn't come back and redeem it at the year of Jubilee, it then became property of the priest. He said, you know what? I'm just giving it to you. And the priest would then take it. Verse 22 to 25. And if a man dedicates... To the Lord, a field which he has bought, which is not the field of his possession. Then the priest shall reckon to him the worth of the valuation up to the year of Jubilee. And he shall give your valuation on that day as a holy offering to the Lord. In the year of Jubilee, the the field shall return to him from whom it was bought to one who owned the land as a possession. And all your valuation shall be according to the shekel of the sanctuary, 20 giras to the shekel. So, if somebody leased a property, because remember, if you bought someone's property, you're really just leasing it. Somebody owned it. It was given to them and deeded to them by God. The only, the only people that didn't have any property were the Levites, because they were to be provided for by the people. And any land that was sold was basically leased until the year of Jubilee, then it would go back to the original person. So if you had actually bought a piece of property, it's 20 years away from Jubilee, and five years later you say, you know what, I want to make a vow to God, and I want to give this property for God's kingdom and His glory. So I'm going to give it to the priest. I'm going to give it for His service. Well, then for 15 years, it would belong to the priest, and at the end of that 15 years, it would then go back to the original owner of it. You know what I saw when I was looking at this? All I thought about was how we and all the gifts that we have truly are on loan from God. Amen? The stuff that we have is not ours. It doesn't belong to us. It's totally His. And anything we have, He loaned it to us that we might use it for His glory. And ultimately, we're going to be in heaven, and we're not going to need or use the gifts we have on earth anymore because we won't need them in heaven. Amen? You know, when we get to heaven, we're not going to have Bible studies anymore because we're going to be hanging out with the Word, Jesus Christ. Amen? We're not going to have to share our faith because everyone there is going to be saved. Amen? No more pain, no more sickness. We're not going to have to lay hands on pray for anybody anymore. We're all going to be there. We're going to be around the throne, and we're going to worship Him forevermore. And so the gifts that we've been given, we've been given for a short amount of time. You know, all these celebrities have been dying lately, and you know, people get upset. But here's the reality. 
on John Ritter's tombstone or anybody else's, it's got a date and a date and a little dash in the middle. And what we're living for is the dash. What are we going to put in the dash? Amen? What are we going to do for the Lord in this amount of time that we have from this year to that year? He's loaned us. He's given us gifts. He wants us to use them for His glory. And Lord, you know what? I'm yours. Lord, I belong to you. Lord, use me. Here I am. Use me. Who shall go for us, the Word says. Lord, you, here I am. Use me. Lord, send me. I'll go. And you know what? The Lord's not looking again for ability, but availability. And you know what? We're living for the dash, and it won't matter how much money we made. You know, and I said it last Sunday or the Sunday before, a hundred years from now, if the Lord tarries, no one's going to even remember what you look like, let alone what kind of car you drove or how big your house was or how, you know, how nice your six-pack was from all the sit-ups you did. You know, God, no one's going to remember any of that. When this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. Amen? Nothing else is going to matter. And he's saying, you know what? When you make a vow, realize that even that vow is temporary. And ultimately, it's going to go back to the one who originally owns it. And who owns it all? God does. Amen? And so he's loaned us these gifts, and may we use them for his glory. And you know what? May we have an eternal impact. Santa Cruz, Holy Cross. Amen? Does this place need Jesus? Amen? We want to see revival in Santa Cruz. You don't need a, just a spirit-filled pastor. We need a spirit-filled church. We need to be so on fire for him that we become contagious. And praise God that, you know what, he can use even people like you and me. Amen? While we were yet sinners, he died for us, and he still uses people that are imperfect like us. We're holy because he's holy, and he desires to use us. Okay, lastly, we're going to see the things that, that belong to the Lord. It says, but the firstborn of the animals, which should be the Lord's firstborn, no man shall dedicate, whether it is an ox or a sheep, it is the Lord's. And if it is an unclean animal, then he shall redeem it according to your valuation and shall add one-fifth to it. Or if it is not redeemed, then it shall be sold according to your valuation. Now, there are certain things that automatically belong to God. And the things that belong to the Lord were things that were tithed or given to him. And the first thing we see here is that the firstborn of all the clean animals automatically belong to God. It says in Exodus, we looked at this six months ago, all that opens the womb is mine. Every male firstborn of your cattle, whether ox or sheep. The first, every time that your animals gave birth to animals, the firstborn always already belonged to the Lord. It was His. You took the firstborn clean animal, whether ox or sheep, and you came and you gave it to the Lord every single time. There was no question. There was nothing. It was God's animal. It wasn't even yours to give. You know, you can't give God something that's already His. That animal belonged to Him. You know, sometimes we think, and you know, most of you know, again, if you're new here, we don't even pass an offering, okay? I'm not big on pounding people to give. I don't ever want you to give unless God's putting it on your heart to give. Amen? You don't give because a man manipulates you. The Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver. But here's the reality. When we tithe, we're not giving. We're just letting God have what already belongs to Him. Amen? Now, we can give over and above that, but when I tithe, which I do, when I give it, it's already His. I'm just taking God's money that's already His and giving it to Him. Lord, this is Yours. By the way, 100% of all I have is His. Amen? God's shirt, God's shoes, God's car on the parking lot is God's stuff. And when we realize that, we'll hold loosely to it. But they, they were taught right off the bat, hey, my animals, my stuff, you bring it to me. It was to keep their focus on the Lord, to keep them from being greedy for stuff, to keep their eyes off of the things of the world. And you know what? 
When people don't want to give of their time or their finances, it's a sign of a heart problem. It's a sign of saying, you know what it's saying? It's saying, you know what? I don't believe God can provide for me. I don't believe what he says in his word. And you know, he's not the most important thing in the world to me. And again, I want to encourage you that pray and let God be the one that opens your heart to give, whether it's in, of your time, of your resources, whatever it is. Let God be the one to, to encourage you to do it. But you see here that they were to take and give the firstborn to the Lord. Verse 28. Nevertheless, no devoted offering that a man may devote to the Lord of all that is, he has, both man or beast, or of the field of his possession, shall be sold or redeemed. Everything devo- every devoted offering is most holy to the Lord. So what he's saying is, those devoted offerings that they give, whether man or beast, that, that devoted offering could never be redeemed, which means they could not buy it back. Because they, they could not buy back that which belonged to the Lord. The other offerings that they gave, they could go and they could pay 120% and get it back. But he's saying, you cannot buy back what was never yours to begin with. It'd be like walking out here, you know, to my wife's minivan and, and someone say, Pastor Dave, come here, I want to show you something. I want to give you this minivan. Uh, it's already mine. Yeah, but I want to give it to you. I just, I, I, you know, you've been a blessing to me. I just want to, dude, it's already my minivan. What are you talking about? I want to give you the, it's kind of like when we do that to the Lord. Well, Lord, I just want to give, it's already mine. Amen? We're just walking in obedience, given to him of our time, given to him of the first fruits, because it all belongs to the Lord. And so these devoted things could not be redeemed, and I find that interesting. It was devoted to God, and they, and they could not buy it back. The vow was irrevocable. It could not be redeemed. It could not be sold. And it was most holy, it says there. It is most holy to the Lord. It could only be touched by the priest. Verse 29. No person under the ban who may become doomed to destruction among men shall be redeemed, but shall surely be put to death. Now this is speaking of those who've been sentenced to death. They've done something, and now, because of what they've done, their consequences are death. And it says here that none of them could be redeemed. Now, I find that, again, I find this interesting. And I'll, I'll, I'll point to something I, that I see here in the text that, again, Pastor Dave's opinion, all right? But notice here, back in verse 28, it says, beast or man. And, the, and then back in verse 27, it talks about any unclean animal. And verse 26 talks about clean animals, whether an ox or a sheep. Now, an ox or a sheep or a firstborn animal in the Bible is a picture, again, of whom? Jesus Christ. Remember that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We talked about why an ox is sacrificed often throughout the, the book of Leviticus. An ox is a beast of what? A burden. And who takes, whose yoke is easy and whose burden is light? Jesus, amen? And he takes all of our burdens upon himself. And he carries our burdens away for us. And so you have an ox and you have a sheep. Again, I believe pictures of our Savior who takes that yoke upon himself and who is that perfect Lamb of God. But then it says, again, those under ban who may become doomed to destruction among men shall, be redeem- shall not be redeemed. They cannot be redeemed. No person, but shall surely be put to death. Now, you know what? I looked it up and I found that there's a couple ways you can look at this. One, this could be somebody who was doomed to destruction because they're outside of God's will, but it also could be somebody that was so devoted to God that they were going to serve Him as unto death. And if you look at it from that perspective, you look at an ox or a sheep, and then one who is so devoted as to serve God unto death. Who's that a picture of? 
Jesus Christ. Remember he said, let not this cup pass from me. You know, take the cup from me, Lord. But the Lord said, no. And you know what? He was willing to die to suffer the ultimate price. And again, we see here that these are things that could not be redeemed. They could not, because there's no other way. Jesus Christ is the only way. He's the only one that could pay the price. They couldn't pull out enough money to take the place of the one who was going to die. And we can't take out enough money to take the place of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. Amen? These are things totally devoted to God, wholly set apart to be sacrificed unto Him. And again, I just want to say that I'm looking at this, and and it steps out to me, but again, Pastor Dave's opinion, all right? Verse 3. And all the tribe of the Lamb, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. So the first thing that had to happen is that they had to give the tithe. The very first fruit gave, was given to the Lord. Wholly devoted to Him. Given to Him first. And again, a tithe in those days was one-tenth. Now it says in the Bible, the only time that God says that we rob Him, He said, you robbed God. He said, when did, you ro- when, when did I rob you? And it says in Malachi chapter 3, you robbed me when you didn't give to me the tithes and the offerings. Those are His. And again, I'm not try- I don't want you to be guilted into giving, but I do feel as your pastor, I should teach you what the Bible says. Amen? And the Bible says that we give with a cheerful heart. If you can't give with a cheerful heart, don't give at all. But the Lord's desire is that, we're, that He's so important to us that we give Him, and not what's left. Don't give Him the last five minutes of your day when you're, you know, you're drooling in your Bible, when you're trying not to, okay. Give God the first fruits, amen? All over the Bible says, meet Him in the morning. You know, before you step out of, get the Bible open when you're awake. Best, give Him the best part of your day, amen? And give Him the best of what you have. You know, if you want to give to the missionaries, don't give them your old ratty stuff. You give them something new and you keep the old ratty stuff. Amen? Too often, old missionaries are coming. Let's give them that 27-year-old mattress and get a new one for us. You know what I mean? It's like we give them the last fruits. That's not what God wants us to do. You know, the old ratty toys, the arms falling off. Yeah, give that to the missionary kids. That's good. Take that down to the nursery, right? They're all out of it, you know. You know, no. You keep that and give first fruits to the Lord. He says you give a tithe first and you give them the first fruits. The best of your time, the best of what you have, not giving God what's left. Okay, Lord, well, it's, all I got left is three and a half minutes after Seinfeld at 1135. All right, I mean, get, I'm, and Pastor Dale, I'm just struggling in my marriage. I can't figure out why. Well, duh, right? Not spending time in prayer, not spending time in the Word, and we wonder why we walk around anemic and weak. We desire the Word of God more than our necessary food, amen? We're to spend time in His Word. Almost done, last couple of verses here. It says, if a man wants to, at all to redeem with tithes, he shall add one-fifth to it. And concerning the tithe of the herd of the flock, whatever passes under the rod, the tenth shall be holy to the Lord. So what would happen is, once a year, the shepherd would literally hold his rod out. And every tenth animal that went under, they just pushed off to the side, and it was God's. That's the Lord's. Just hold the rod out, one, two, three, tenth, that one goes that way. And every tenth animal. And they might have hundreds of sheep. And that way just be taking 30, 40 sheep off to the side. And he's saying that every tenth one belongs to the Lord. And look what it says here. He shall not inquire whether it is good or bad, nor shall he exchange it. And if he exchanges it at all, then both it and the one he exchanges it for shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed. They couldn't say, ooh, there comes the studly ox. Put him ninth. Move the skinny one up. Come on, come on. You know, he's saying don't exchange it. Don't finagle the order. You know, hey, when they come, just give them to the Lord. Oh, man, look. Oh, Lexus, Lexus. Oh, the VW bug, the 68 bug. Put that up in the front. You know, 10th, oh, get that one. You know, I want to keep the good stuff for me. 
And the Lord's saying, no, you put the rod out and the, every tenth animal, you just give it to me. And you don't worry about it. You know what? We should want to give God our best. Amen? Don't give God the rest. Give Him the best. Amen? Say, Lord, it's yours. You know what? The, the only thing that we give to that will outlive this life is when we give to things that promote the kingdom of God. Amen? You know, I support missionaries of the gospel for Asia and different things. And I love that. That's easy for me. Because I know that that's stuff that's going to outlast this life. When I go buy a you know, big bag of Doritos and a Coke, that ain't going to last very long. Amen? When I go invest in stuff that's going to pass away, it doesn't have the impact on eternity that this could. It shall be holy and it shall not be redeemed. If you try to finagle, then God's just going to... It says there that God's just going to take the one that was supposed to go and the one you try to trade it for. He's going to take both of them. That's what it says right there in the text. If you try to put a bad one for the good one, He's going to take them both. Okay. Take them both. Obviously, this is way too important to you. I'm just going to remove the temptation. There it goes. Right? Verse 34. These are the commandments which the Lord commanded Moses for the children of Israel on Mount Sinai. Here at the conclusion of Leviticus, God's word, God's commandments, again, not God's holy suggestions. It's not what it says. It says these are God's commandments. Now, I want to close with this. We today, as believers in Jesus Christ, we don't take really what you would call vows anymore. And let me tell you why. Because we're not under the law anymore. Now, we're under grace but that doesn't mean that the law is of no value. The Bible says that the law is a taskmaster that leads us to the cross. Amen? How do we know we're sinners? We hold up God's word, the law, against our faces, and we realize, I've fallen short, so now I know that I'm a sinner. Amen? And so the law still applies in a sense that those are things we should desire to fall, but the law cannot save us. Amen? The old covenant was based on the law and it failed. Why? Because man failed. You know why the old covenant won't work? Because it's based on man keeping the law, which will never happen. Amen? And what they made sacrifices to point to the coming Messiah. He's coming, all right? And we're pointing to him. The new covenant that we live under today is a covenant of grace. Amen? God's riches at Christ's expense. G-R-A-C-E. And you know what? The good news is that he's paid the price for us. And this covenant will never fail. Let me tell you why. Because where the old covenant depended on man, the new covenant depends on God. And God will never fail. Amen? And we can walk in His grace and His mercy and forgiveness. Amen? And so we don't promise, okay, Lord, I promise I'm going to read my Bible every day. I make a vow to you. I'm going to read my Bible every day. And if I don't, smoke me with lightning. That's, that's not what God wants. God wants us to fall in love with Him. Amen? And do stuff because we love Him. Right now, I just, Lord, I just love you so much, I can't believe. I get to get up in the morning and open up the Bible, and you're going to talk to me. I can't believe that I get to get in my car and put worship music in and just worship you all the way to work. Lord, I can't believe I'm going to get to go to work today, and I've been praying for those people, and maybe you're going to let me share with them about your love and your grace. Lord, I can't believe I get to go to church on a Wednesday and work with the children's ministry and love on those kids. And Lord, I can't believe I get to go and, and just be salt and light in my neighborhood. And you know, it's a get to and not a have to, amen? Christianity is, man, he loves us. And if you love him, you know, when you love somebody, it shows, amen? I love my wife and my kids. And I love to introduce people to my family. But you know what? I need to love Jesus more. And as much as I love to introduce them to my family, I should be wanting to introduce them to the one who can save them from their sins and give them eternal life. Amen? 
And so we're not under the old covenant anymore. Again, Leviticus is totally applicable for us because it points us to Jesus Christ. It sees that he is the fulfillment of everything that's in the Old Testament. But it's Jesus Christ that saves us, not the law. And so we don't beat people over the head with the law. You know what I mean? We don't go and, oh man, you've got to keep the rules. Again, we need to do kindness that leads people to repentance. Amen? We need to love people supernaturally and share with them God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that even a book like Leviticus, written 3,500 years ago, has an application in our lives today. And Father, I thank you for that clear picture of the atoning work of the cross, that without Leviticus, we would not be able to understand with the same depth. And Father, I thank you, Lord, that it all points to Jesus, that every sacrifice, that, that every atoning work is just a picture of the work that you did for us. And Father, I thank you, Lord, just for the pictures of how to walk in obedience and your call for us to be holy. But Father, we know that without you, we can do nothing. So Father, we just ask that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and help us to walk in obedience to your word, only possible when indwelt by your Holy Spirit. So, Father, we love you and we praise you, Lord. And I continue to lift up Santa Cruz to you. Father, give us opportunities tomorrow, Lord, to love people. Give us opportunities tomorrow to share, them, share with them the, the love of God. Help us, Lord, not just to go witnessing, but to be witnesses. And, Father, may that ministry of giving of our first fruits start at home with our families and with our children. So, Lord, we love you and we praise you. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. let's stand and close the worship song.